Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Private Parts. Don't know what I'm singing. Um, hey, listen, we have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, we've been nailing the episodes at the moment. Just so many great guests. And today's guest is unbelievable. We have Nikki Lilly on the podcast. Now, if you haven't come across Nikki on um, social media, she is just an amazing, courageous, young individual. She's 18 years old. Um, she was diagnosed with AVM. Um, it can be life-threatening. It can cause nosebleeds. Visibility has changed. Her appearance has changed. It can happen all over the body. This affected her face. Um, she had it since six years old. Um, she is just an amazing individual in so many ways. Uh, she started vlogging at eight years old. She has over two, close to three million subscribers on YouTube, nine million followers on TikTok. Um, she's had this... Uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. She's got Emmys, she's got BAFTAs, she's written a book, she's done so much. She's an incredible individual. And today she came on and we were so open and honest with each other about different things. We spoke about her uh, condition, we spoke about life, we spoke about dating, we spoke about uh, mental health, dealing with different things. You know, things that teenagers deal with. She's 18 now, but things that teenagers deal with. But also being a teenager and having a condition as well. So it was just very interesting to hear her perspective on things. Nick, if you're listening, yeah, you're a rock star. We're going to get into the episode now. If you want to follow us on social media, please do. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. And also, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do, because it makes a huge difference. And go and check out Nikki on all of her social medias. And go and check out her BAFTA and Emmy winning series, My Life Born to Vlog. Right, okay, let's get into the episode. Here it is. Please enjoy it with Nikki Liddy. I heard this other. This apparently this is what they call a cold open, where you just. That's I swear SNL does something called a cold open, and it's like. They do. They yeah. do. They do a cold open. Well, this is our cold open. I love it. SNL. I was listening to. Um, have you ever listened to the podcast How I Built This? No. Tell I, me about it. All right. I'm just promoting other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, um, Jimmy Fallon, who. Oh I, yeah, I love Jimmy Fallon. Because I, I also um, read somewhere that you. You first, you have your great interview, but you want to be a, you're a presenter. That's what yeah, you do, right? Definitely. So ever since I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do as well. I used to put teddies in a row on a on a. No way. Yeah, and pretend oh I was a God. chat show host. I love that. And um, my my superstar has always been Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And he did SNL and all that kind yeah. of stuff. That. So he did that cowbell thing. Have you ever seen yes. that? Yes. Oh my gosh, the skits are oh. just the best. They don't compare to this, like. They're just the best in comparison to the skits. But do you not, would you not, if you did something like that, would you not get nervous about the liveness? I would never do it. If I ever got to that, like, level of, like, fame where you're on SNL, because I feel like it's, like, a point in your career where you're like, I'm at that point and they want me to do SNL, I would never do it. Why? I cannot do live things. 
I can't. I can't. No, I really can't do it. When I do speeches to live audiences yeah. or like live television, uh-huh. I am. I've never been so nervous in my life. Like that is when I can't deal with it. Which is why, for me, doing videos is where my comfort is because it's me and a camera. But I, I think you're underselling yourself there. If I'm totally honest, because we were we were talking about this with the team earlier with your interviews, um, and you've interviewed some like big people with yeah. Nickelodeon Meets, right? Yeah, you're so confident with it, and that's okay. live, and that's live. Yeah. So I think, I, I weirdly, I think that a lot of people we, I mean, we spoke at the wedding and when I had to do the wedding speech, that's just in front of friends and family. I was shitting oh my myself. Gosh. Yeah. Because it's the fear of like messing up, being judged, totally. or whatever totally. it is. Yeah. But I would say that you're confident in that area. I think it comes with practice. Maybe Mm. I think I get, I think I actually am better when I don't prepare for things as much. I found that initially when I started doing Nikki Lily Meets, I had a habit of over-preparing to the point where I'd be so aware of what questions I needed to say next or what I needed to do next that I actually wasn't in the moment. Whereas I think you have to just try your best to actually take in what the person you're interviewing and talking to is saying and just roll with that rather than being like, okay, somehow I need to drop in this question now, you know? And then that's actually when I think my interviews turned out the best. I'm the same as you. When I started doing this show, right, everyone's like, you've got to have notes and things like that. But actually, the the more of the gold comes when you don't have that. And I completely agree. Otherwise, you're, you're talking to someone and suddenly you just go, shit, I need this next yes. question. And you're not even thinking oh about what God. they're saying. Yeah, yeah, You're like, yeah. So, and then you're on a completely different topic and it's just feels so unnatural. So I think that's what I kind of slowly learned as I did Nikki Lily Meets More is just to make it my own thing rather mm. than to be so focused on the fact that it's it's TV. And because it's TV, I have to do all of these things that I wouldn't normally do. But actually, I kind of just turned it into like, my YouTube videos but it was for TV and I think that's what put a bit less pressure on me because I was more focusing on just being with that person having a natural organic conversation as much as I could and not focusing on the fact of who they were because that also would scare the hell out of me but yeah I think it's so important when you're in times where you're kind of leading an interview or things like that to just also lead with I think making the other person comfortable is really important and also just mm. leading with honesty. I think what I learned is when I did my interviews and things, if I shared my experiences along with that, so it did become more of like you have a rapport with the other person and it's mm. not like question, answer, question, answer. Because if you're having a conversation with a friend, so-called, you're not going to be like, so how are you? What Like it's, you know, there's the back and forth conversation. So mm. I then I think try to kind of create the same sort of formula, I guess you could say when it came to like when I did Nikki Lily Meets. That's that's big self awareness though, because yeah. I, I I mean in the least patronizing way, when I was eighteen years old, there's no way that I would have been able to hold a conversation yeah. like I mean I, I I think I was always quite personable, but my nerves would have got the better than me, a better me for mm. sure, meeting different people like that. I wouldn't have been able to have that sort of, I wouldn't have the confidence. I don't think that's a yeah. lot of confidence to have that. Totally, I feel like I, I mean I started doing Nikki Lee meets when I was thirteen. So I in my first series, I know, I know, I'm 18 now. And yeah, I did my first series in 20, started in 2017. Mm. Um, and in that first series, I did the likes of like Theresa May when she was prime minister. And I don't think I've ever been like in her office in 10 Downing Street. And I don't think I've ever been so nervous. 
I think I have. Break, break that down quickly. So oh how does how does how does that even? Happen? Oh my gosh! I cannot even tell you how that happened. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I we'd been doing some like good interviews with people. Obviously, as I'm sure you can relate to, when you first start a show, you're going to have smaller people people on it in the sure. beginning because you have to build up that you know mm. um, thing, and then more people will want to come on the podcast with like a higher caliber. Mm-hmm. So I'd had like some radio presenters on and things like that. Still big people, but obviously Theresa May at the time she was the prime minister mm-hmm. of you know where we live it was crazy. And she was in the news constantly. And all of a sudden, um, Lorna, um, our amazing producer, who I worked with so much with everything I did, she was like, so I've got a new person in for Nikki Lily Meets episode. Mm-hmm. Theresa May, I literally, I was 13 years old. I just got back from school and I lit, I did not, I could not believe she just said, basically, you're going to be interviewing the prime minister. And the worst thing about it was as well that she was like, we only have 20 minutes, so yeah. you need to bang this out in 20 minutes and get the most out of it. And it was like maybe my seventh episode in. And not only were we in 10 Downing Street, we had to do all the security procedures to get in. Yeah. And then when I got to her office, there was so many people in the room, which yeah. made it even worse because it was back to having this live audience. And not only was it like a live audience, it was people that worked for the government that's the worst oh my god as soon as anyone steps in the room it's yeah. like please get out yeah. I, I don't want yeah. anyone here it's the worst so i was just i think i kind of just went away from myself and wasn't actually in it i was kind of on autopilot when i did it mm-hmm. um and the whole premise of my interviews with nikki lady meets was trying to interview people and talk to them about what they were like when they were a teenager basically so for me it was trying to make Theresa May as comfortable as possible in these 20 minutes and I spoke to her about what she was interested in what she was like at school and it was just the most mad conversation I think you could have with someone especially the prime minister and she was quite nervous and jittery and was she yeah and not in I think that's just kind of how she is is that's her natural um yeah she was lovely but she was just very like on edge so I think that's when it's maybe a bit more difficult because you're trying to make that person more Calm and comfortable. But you also, have it. Yeah. You have it locked down. This is this no, is exact. I, I, I swear to God, you you, you must be um, you must be incredibly empathetic yeah. because I, I think I, that's a great thing. I think I'm the same yeah. because you can feel the other emotions. You, you really feel can. the energy, yeah. right? And so when you're talking to someone, you know they're nervous, and yeah. so you're like, oh my god, because yeah. I can feel with you, you're just super confident. So really, you, yeah, I swear to God, and you can just have that easy rapport then. Yeah. But when you have some guests, when you chat to them, all you're doing for the whole first five minutes or 10 minutes is trying to just calm their yeah. energy down and yeah. you can feel it, right? Totally. You really can. When I did the interviews where the other people were presenters, let's say, so I've done like Claudia Winkleman, I've done, you know, a whole kind of different bunch of presenters on mm. TV, radio, things like that. I find that it's so much easier because they get it. Yeah. They get that what the expectation is. Mm. So they not only do they kind of play up to what you need, um, and match your energy, but they're also just ready to go. Mm. And I think that's where I also find it a lot easier with those people. So I think what was the good thing about when I interviewed Theresa May and so early in Nikki Lily Meets and my TV career is that it was a challenge for me, but it ended up doing so, so well. I remember a few days after I was on like Good Morning Britain talking about it because it went like viral on Facebook and mm. it became this huge thing. And 
when I was on Good Morning Britain, at the end of it, they surprised me with like a video that Theresa May had literally filmed on her phone saying, hi, Nikki, thanks so much for the interview. And I was just thinking, no way, Theresa May. Yeah, yeah. I was picturing Theresa May. How many May. times has she done that? Her yeah. team have done that. Yeah, so. I was picturing <laughs> Theresa May with her phone just like vlogging. And I was just like, no way. Our prime minister has done this video for me. And while she was prime minister, she'd write me Christmas cards and things like that. And I, yeah, I was like, me and Trees are friends. First name basis. Get out of here. Yeah, crazy. Okay, if I was going to flip it on you, because Nick Lily Meets is, Mm. like you said, it's about teenage years and things like that. What were your teenage years? Well, you're still 18, right? So, you know, what were your teenage years like? My teenage years... I'd say have been quite difficult in the mm-hmm. sense that I was diagnosed with my condition when I was six years old. And from that point, my life completely was flipped upside down. Um, every part of what a childhood or, you know, being a teenager should be like was ripped away from me and consisted of, you know, if I wasn't at home, I was in hospital. If I wasn't in hospital, I was at home. So I think for me, there was a real struggle to ever feel like I was on the inside of what being a teenager was like. You know, I was constantly missing school. I constantly really didn't feel like I could relate to people my age while they're worrying about... Everyone goes through hardships, don't get me wrong, but mine was just like chronic hardship. And while they're worrying about, let's say, a school exam or who liked them or, you know, things that you worry about when you're a teenager, I was worrying about what my treatment option was going to be next or lack thereof or health things, other things like that. So I really struggled to feel like I fit in. And I think that when my appearance changed, I lost my sense of self and completely lost my identity. That then when I became a teenager, I was so desperate to be liked because I was so underconfident. When I started secondary school, from year seven to year nine, I sat and ate lunch in the toilets by myself. Oh, Nick. Yeah. No. Yeah, because I literally... I'm feeling very yeah. emotional today, so you yeah. can't start <laughs> triggering anything over on my side. That is, that is heartbreaking. Yeah, because I think the one good thing about when I was in primary school is you go into it with so much support from your parents. They kind of like coax you into making friends and things like that. And I didn't go into primary school looking the way that I do now. Whereas when I was six years old, my appearance changed, but I kind of had a foundation of some sort of friendships. Whereas when you go into secondary school, you're all on your own. And I had no friends from my primary school going into secondary school. And I didn't really have any friends at primary school because again, I barely got into school because of health stuff. So I was never going to put myself out there and, you know, go up to someone and say, hi, I'm Nikki, because I was so in my head about what people would think, especially kids. And even though I'm sure a majority of them were just curious and never really thought anything bad about the way I looked or my story, you're your worst enemy a lot of the time when it comes to things like that. And so I'd be so in my head about it. I just thought I'd spare myself that part of it and that uncomfortability that I would just kind of, because you were myself. preempting yeah, something that totally. so, and it's so true about being your worst enemy. We all are the yeah. whole time. The the thoughts that ruminate in our own minds are the mm-hmm. ones that sort of stop us from doing things. Completely. Yeah. I think yeah, so I spent a lot of my teenagehood kind of just trying to figure out who I was. And I think when I finally did make friends, they weren't really my people, but I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to feel a part of something because I never did. And so I would I found I'd shape myself to whatever I thought people wanted me to be. I'd listen to the music that they liked because I thought that I'd be more liked by them and be part of this group or get 
clothes that they like that wasn't my style or things like that just anything really and I was just always on the outskirts and I think that was really difficult for me but along with the beauty of what I do with social media I feel like as I've grown and got older people mature as well I found my sense of self which allowed me to feel more comfortable at school and tell my story to people at school and then I found my group of friends but mm. teenage has been very difficult in the sense that you know in total I've had 96 operations I since I was six so my yeah God. it's been in and out of hospital my whole life really and no, no real continuity that you need as like a growing person I mean there's so many things to unpack here right which is just like firstly just teenage years are just hellish and totally. uh, for, uh, uh, you know and there, there are so many um uh sort of comparisons right in lots of different ways which loads of teenagers that sense of fitting in loads of things but having this sort of diagnosis that you did just adds that real sort of heavy element on top mm -hmm. can you talk about the diagnosis so and I'm sure look I, it, it must be really dull sometimes for you because I'm sure so many people ask the same questions yeah. when you get interviewed and stuff like that but I suppose just for, for my own knowledge you yeah. know you get diagnosed with six years old what is the diagnosis yeah so I was I was born with this condition it's called AVM or yeah. arteriovenous malformation I end up just saying AVM because it's so much easier than that did you abbreviate it to AVM yeah so, yeah. so now people know it as AVM, yeah. right? Because of yeah. you. Yeah, and even when I was diagnosed, which was when I was six, so like 2010, I, um, there was nothing even in the like NHS directory of AVMs because it's such a rare condition. You can get it in any part of your body. Mine's in my face and my head and behind my eye. It's very kind of uh, big in terms of like how big AVMs can be. And that affects three in a million. So AVMs weren't even in the like NHS directory. Wow. So when I was diagnosed, there was nothing online. And so when I was skipping ahead a bit, when I was eight years old, I actually became the face of that NHS directory. Really? Yeah. Really? How mad is that? Like the pamphlet you get on AVMs. I was the face of it. My face was on the front cover. And now, even if I go into my hospital, it's on one of those like, you know, at school you used to have yeah. those, like, boards that they yeah, put on the yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one you pin stuff on. <laughs> it's awful. It's great, but it's... I hope they paid you. Of course they didn't. <laughs> I needed a manager back then. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. So, this is six years old, this happens. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I can imagine how upsetting for yourself for your parents as well to try and mm -hmm. you know or you know I I have with my wife right I care so much my family care so much about that they're just healthy right yeah even when my wife has like a blocked nose I I, yeah. I freak out head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both, 
in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, um... You know, with you, you know, being so young and vulnerable, that must have been a tough time for your parents, right? It was so difficult. It was all very sudden. And I think the fact that there was such lack of information out there and there is no cure for my condition made everything so much more difficult and scary. Um, When I was diagnosed, it took me, the doctors forever to actually find out what the diagnosis was. So I initially went to a GP because I had just some veins appearing on the right side of my face and some pain. They had no idea what it was, but just knew it was an emergency. So they referred me to a a private doctor. And then that private doctor said, I think it's an AVM, but I don't know. So I had to go for an ultrasound. And there were so many layers to it, which I think just made it even worse um, and made everything even more scary. And for me, it was a blessing, I guess, in a way that I was diagnosed so young because... The first couple of years of my diagnosis, I don't really remember very well. It was all quite a blur because I think you're so young. You're still forming like cells in your brain. You actually have no idea what's going on around you. So I think when I found out I was ill, I thought I had a cold. I, you know, because that's all you know about like Mm. illnesses. You don't even know what cancer is at like such a young age, I don't think, unless you've been affected. You know, someone you know has been affected by it. Mm. So I think... For me, that was a blessing. I would see my parents changing and that was really difficult for me. But again, I thought it was a short-term thing at the time. So I think that's what was my thing that kept me going is being, I guess, in a state of denial. Yeah. But for my parents, they were in it and they were the ones having to receive the news and really take it in that their daughter will never be the same, that she would get very sick very quickly. There was no definitive treatment options. It was so rare. And if you did look it up, it was a lot of them were fatal you know really? yeah so there was literally nothing out there and that was what was so difficult that's so scary yeah so when I was eight years old with my parents we created a charity called the Butterfly AVM charity and we've nearly raised um a million pounds into directly funding research into AVMs and we have found the genetic mutation that causes my condition. Oh my God, what, so, so what is it? So it's called um, KRAS and it's a mutation that basically the way an AVM is formed is you, it's formed when you're in your mum's stomach and it's a genetic fault. So basically a switch that should turn off when in genes, you know, when you're being made, mm. doesn't. And so what an AVM is, it's, is it's an abnormal connection between arteries and veins. So your capillaries should be between your arteries and veins. Mm-hmm. And one is high flow and one is low flow. So the capillaries, I kind of say, is like the middleman. 
But when you have an AVM, the capillaries aren't where they need to be, so they directly collide into each other, which causes the buildup of pressure, pain, swelling, and the worst part and the fatal part, which is bleeding. So we have found the genetic mutation which causes the abnormal connection, basically. And so now what we're doing is testing and trialling loads of different current drugs on that genetic mutation to see if any of them work. But To reverse it? To reverse it and see if it can uh, maybe... Uh, stop growth or reduce growth or things like that so we directly fund research at hospitals but I think the reason that we also really wanted to start the charity was because there was such lack thereof of support Mm. and we felt so alone and isolated when I was diagnosed our life just you know turned to hell in the blink of an eye and so I think we wanted to be that support network or place of guidance for people who were diagnosed with AVMs recently or people that were like surviving with AVMs and things like that whether it was you know helping them with treatment options or doctors near where they lived or just giving them support you know my dad would be on the phone to parents of people with AVMs every day and really? things like that yeah from all over the world I know oh my god my mum and dad are amazing we, we yeah call our, shout out man. shout On, out honestly shout out oh we call ourselves like the three musketeers and I keep trying to convince them to get a tattoo with me they're so like I'm not getting a tattoo <laughs> but I keep saying we need to get a tattoo to like commemorate everything we've been through so I'm kind of trying to guilt trip them into it at the moment but um yeah, I without the support of my mum and dad, I would have never... I wouldn't be here, like, genuinely. I can imagine, yeah. Because I think the thing that's not really talked about enough is the toll that a chronic illness and, like, life-threatening and limiting illness takes on you mentally. It's almost sometimes worse than the physical toll. Break that down, because how, how does that manifest itself mentally? Because I can... You know, physically, I can imagine, but, but mentally... Mm-hmm. It must be exhausting. Yeah, it's very exhausting. I've been in and out of therapy for some sort of reason my whole life since I was about eight. Firstly, it was a fear I had of needles because I had so many bad experiences at hospital with blood tests Mm. and things like that. So that manifested into like an actual really awful phobia of needles and the therapy I had wasn't great so it didn't make a difference but it was with the hope of it making a difference which meant that you just couldn't you wouldn't want to go through near needles exactly so I'd almost kind of be having just having to do it because there was no other option you know if I have to have an IV put in my arm I have to have an IV put in my arm so then it would kind of lead to more trauma from that experience oh my god a lot of the stuff that I deal with is PTSD from a lot of the things I've been through the worst part is you know, as I've mentioned, my condition is a bleeding disorder. So um, I've had life-threatening bleeds where I've lost litres and litres of blood, like awful nosebleeds. Um, and yeah, I've been like in and out of consciousness. Back in 2018, I was in a coma for eight days because I lost so much blood in intensive care. Um, so those are the things where a lot of the PTSD kind of comes from is when you're basically in like life or death situations. And I've had so many of those, been blue lighted to hospital more times than I can like count on my hands uh, that have been fatal. But, but blue lighted for actual fatal reasons or yeah. that you actually thought, you, or, or, or other reasons as well? Fatal reasons, fatal oh reasons. God. Yeah, so there's even places I can't go anymore because of like the PTSD I've got. So even yesterday, we went just to visit my auntie and there's a restaurant there that I had really, really bad nosebeads in and I just can't look at it. It's just it brings back the trauma. Nikki, I'm so sorry, and I, I, I just, just to hear this story, and we've only, yeah, 
that it's just not what um, anyone should experience or typically a teenager or kid should go through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, that time is to play in fields and go on adventures. Totally. And not be doing to 97 different totally. hospitals and blue light because you just you're, you you could be dying and all those different things. PTSD is a really interesting one, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so powerful. Yep. And people don't realize how powerful it is. And you yep. can have PTSD, from my knowledge and my experience, in terms of, okay, I had, I had severe... Um, I had a really, my journey with mental health is I had really bad anxiety mm-hmm. and I never knew what it was. Right? Yeah. It's not even compar- comparable to what not you at had, all, right? But what you go through is what you've gone through. Totally, right? And when I was about 22 years old, I had a ter- the worst panic attack in the time. I thought oh I was dying. Gosh. Typical thing, it was just yeah. awful. Because of that GAD, general anxiety disorder, still just denied it, just didn't talk about it, nothing yeah, yeah, like of that. Course. But it was the fear of having it again. Yeah. It, and, and it was yeah. so consuming. It, it's, Every thought that I had mm-hmm. was, this is going to happen again. Yeah. This is going to happen again. This is going to happen again. When you feel like you're going to die all the time, that stress mentally, is her- it pollutes your mind. Totally. I describe it as constantly being in fight or flight mode. Yeah. So I will avoid places because I'm like, well, it's not easy to get out. If something happens, I'm, I'm going to feel trapped. So I've never been to a festival. I've never been... I went clubbing once and I left within five minutes because I absolutely... I thought... I hated it. It's my idea of hell. <laughs> it's pretty shit. Trust yeah, me, I've, I've been to a few. You're not missing out. Anyway, you're not like, missing oh, out. Yeah, literally. So I... Constantly, I'm in this state of just preempting having a nosebleed. I have tissues in my pocket constantly. I'm just waiting for something to happen. And even if a nosebleed starts, I don't know what way it's going to go. If it's just going to be a small one and I can get on with my day, or if it in ten minutes I'm going to need to call an ambulance. You just don't know, and it's and it's that severe, instantaneous. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what's been really difficult for me. And with me, because my life's been so out of control, um, and with my bleeds and things like that, I never know when they're coming. My life's just completely not mine, basically. My condition kind of leads what I do on a day-to-day basis, you know. I never look forward to things because I never know what's going to happen. So I could book something, but I'm like, but it could easily not happen, you know. So I'll then just not book things that I want to do because I'll preempt something happening. So that's also manifested in me having other mental issues. So when I was a lot, quite a bit younger, like in year five, six, I I haven't really ever spoken about this, but I developed an eating disorder because I needed some control in my life. Of course you did, yeah. Yeah, so that became my like, okay, this is my thing that I can control. It's mine, the one thing in my life. So I now luckily kind of have therapy that helps me a lot with, you know, generalised anxiety, depression, things like that, that are just day-to-day things I deal with. But I guess the difficulty with my PTSD is that a lot of the time PTSD is post. That's the whole point, is post-traumatic stress disorder. Mine's not post, it's present and post. So you can't really have a definitive kind of line of like making things better and improving because it's not a past thing and past experience, it's current and past. Mm. So that's where the lines get a bit blurred. Um, But I think the thing that kind of helps me is reflection. I think I've got a lot better through what therapy's helped me with is reflecting a bit more on everything in life. And Mm. I think um, even just seeing the small wins, I guess, in life, because I think we get so caught up in everything. We can't do all things that haven't happened. And I think for me, what's helped me with therapy is saying, okay, well, I was able to go out today and things like that. 
when yesterday I wasn't. Mm. And even though those it's, little wins, right? Totally. And even though it's like, but why should I have to feel grateful for that when everyone else can do it? You just have to, with the cards you've been dealt, I guess, take what you can from those and see some sort of spin on it. Two things. Firstly, I just I I applaud your openness. Like I, it's so wicked, man. It feels like therapy. Oh uh, yeah, like it. it's freaking great. <laughs> let's let's offload on each yeah. other. This is a great way. I, I I applaud your vulnerability and your openness because I just I just think it's so needed in in our current situation mm. and people and and do you know what? For so many years, I start, like so many things that still I feel that I could say to you about myself that I just yeah. sometimes hold back on. Like, you shouldn't. I know, and I don't know why. Like, it, I tell you what, for example, um, lot, okay, I, when lockdown happened, yeah. I had a really bad time with sort of burnout and anxiety. And for, for a long time, I never met, I had to, I took medication to, to, to get me through that mm -hmm. period. I, I didn't tell anyone. No one. Didn't want to tell anyone. Didn't say anything. I I I felt like it was just bad. So I, totally. I, I and still now, as I'm telling you, you know, yeah. I'm I'm for some reason nervous to say it. I don't know why. No, I I totally get it. I think for this weird reason, there's almost like not a taboo, but this kind of um, shame around yeah, mental health or needing help with your mental health. Yeah. You know, even if it's from therapy to antidepressants to you know things for anxiety. I don't understand it, but I'm, I've been the exact same. You know, this is literally the first time I've spoken about having an eating disorder. It's yeah. always felt like this taboo. And I don't it's know why, crazy. But, but I can, that sense of control is yeah. key. When you feel so out of control in so many spaces, mm -hmm. that one bit of control is... It's everything. It's, it's totally everything. Yeah, even though you're so... I was so aware that it was not healthy, and that's why I ended up getting help for it, because I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I know this isn't right mm. that was also so difficult for me because i was also upset with myself because i was like you're handing over the control it, uh, you feel ashamed totally yeah I yeah know. it was such a battle for me and while getting help there was just constant regret of ever kind of sharing this secret and this thing i had control over i'm so glad i did because it took control of my entire life um and when you say it now do you not even feel a bit more release as well god yeah <laughs> it's, it's crazy it? yeah it's wild i know it's crazy you just it really it's mental how much your mental health has an impact on everything yeah, like it completely can turn your life upside down your what our little brains can do hey do, do you find though as well that like you said before about I, I don't know but i get frustrated in certain areas when i see people doing different things do, do you ever get those moments when your mind sort of takes over and you go this is unfair 100 percent. i think i've spent my whole life not, it's not even a sense of, I guess, feel, feeling sorry for myself, but more why me, not them, yeah. or just why me in general. I think that you do, when you go through things, think, what have I done to deserve this? What, why? Mm. And I think I've even, you know, I'm sure my parents have had the same thing, where they're like, what have, what, why has this happened to us? You know, mm. why has this happened to our family? And I think I go through, especially days where they're really, really bad, and I don't really want to be here anymore, or I'm just having a rubbish day. Mm. I think that, is even more kind of apparent and there. But I guess at the same time... How do you battle that then, though? Because that's like... Because yeah. I think... Because also, if you relate that to sort of other people, right, who go through different things, it, it's like, okay... I had I, I, I saw this amazing thing once, which was... I, I don't know whose podcast it was, but I don't know... And I'm going to murder it or butcher it, but there was someone was on someone's podcast. And I saw a clip of it on on social media, yeah. and they were they uh they had I think they had terminal cancer, and they were discussing it and talking about it, and 
the same question, I think, was, it was like, do you not feel like upset about this kind of stuff? And they said, they said if someone had told me that um, I could go to this amazing place which I could uh, make friends and I could laugh and I could be sad and I could have all these mm -hmm. emotions and eat this food and go to these different things and stuff like that. Um, and this place was called Earth. Yeah. And you could go and you could only go for two days. Yeah. Would you take it? I would take it in a heartbeat. Totally. And so the way that I that this person describes it, I look at it like that. That yeah. I had I've gone to this place and this place has hit me with lots of different things, but it's amazing at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And that and I felt like that was so refreshing to have that yeah. like insight into it. Yeah, I think that that's an incredible way to see it, and I completely agree with that. I think that even just with not even my situation with things in general, you know, I've had people who I've been with in intensive care who you know children who've passed away next to me and it's like oh well why them not me and why me not them it's yeah. you know constant things like that where I don't think there'll ever be an answer there'll never be a reason unless maybe we one day reach the other side and it's like oh it all made sense in the end I you know I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever have this like oh, I know why this has all happened Agreed. I think we go through and if you life, search for that then that's a problem totally right? totally I think we go through life waiting to feel this okay yeah it all, it all makes sense now that's it was all worth it and I think sometimes it, we do get there and it's like you reach the other side you see the light at the end of the tunnel but for some people you know like the woman who had terminal cancer what you know there's never going to be that light at the end of the tunnel in the sense of like there's the other side and I can look back at everything that's happened and it can all feel worth it because mm. it's rubbish and there's yeah. no other way to describe that there's no there's no positive twist on it. And that's that's the truth. And I think sometimes, as much as I will say, I try my best to see the best in every day and take each day as it comes and make the most of it, which I do as much as I can. I also can't deal with when people try and have this really almost toxic positive spin on things. Like, well, you know, like everything's going to get better and um, you just have to keep going and I can't. I, I can't deal with it. Like, and I completely get that sometimes they don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, do, yeah. And they're just trying to help. Completely get it. We all do that as humans. But ultimately, the situation you're in is rubbish and there's Shit, no two yeah. ways about it. Mm. And so I don't think there's a point in being like waiting for the day where it gets better I think you know and actually there's something but... liberating almost in that where you just go it is shit yeah that's it it's shit totally yeah and I think just letting yourself feel shit like that is okay sitting in the emotion yeah and I think yeah. that's actually what maybe is what has helped me over the years is I think when I was younger I used to bounce back so quickly and I don't know how I did it I used to just bounce back spring back and be fine and I feel like it's also just, you know, when we go through things, every time we're knocked down, we get up, you know, more slowly mm. each time because we we have been knocked down more with, with things in life. And that's how I feel with my life. But I actually have learned that sitting in the emotions, you know, I will sometimes stay in bed, stay in my room for a couple of days, maybe mm. a week. Like I had a huge operation last year. It was my biggest operation I've ever had, 13 hours. Oh yeah, God. it was grueling. It was awful. Oh my. Are you asleep yeah. the entire time? Sleep the entire time. And then I woke up in intensive care and it was just the whole recovery was awful. I was at home and out of every, doing work and things like that for four and a half months. And that was like... And that's probably a bit of your escape yes, as well. Yes, yeah. and that was total hell. It was awful. And a lot of that time also, I actually felt like the operation wasn't worth it because I think the thing that was helping me get through it to the other end of like making it justified is 
my health will be better and things like that. And then I'll actually feel free and this weight off my chest will be gone. But I've had like since I was six, but within six weeks I had a nosebleed and I was like, okay, so what was that all for? And I just had like more like trauma to add to the list. Like I've just waited Yeah, totally. Months. So the way that I actually coped with that is, I, and I've learned that I cope with things is, as I've got older, I don't actually sometimes want to talk about it. I literally just want to hibernate in my room, not speak to anyone, not my mum, my dad, you know, my my siblings. I just want to lie there, mindlessly watch things that I'm not even taking in and just be. Because yeah. I think sometimes that's all we can do is just be. Okay, everyone, we're going to stop there for part one. All you have to do is go and click over to part two to listen to the rest of the episode with Nikki Lilly. I hope you're enjoying it.